Thank you, Ms. Amanda, for helping all of us have something practical that can help us to understand why we do what we do. Amen. The gospel lesson today is from Luke's gospel, chapter 21. I'll be reading verses 25 through 36. Follow along in your Bibles or on the large screens if you'd like. Hear God's word. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up. And lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful on your, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. Most of us don't wait very well. This past year, I was down in South Carolina where my dad lives in Florence, visiting with him. He had some surgery, and I was down to visit and help him out a little bit. And we were on our way to his favorite restaurant, Ruby Tuesday, to get his favorite food, their sirloin, and came to a stoplight. I paused. It was red. And then it turned green, and I was taught to count one one thousand, two one thousand before I pull out into the intersection. Before I could even start my 1-1000, the person behind me laid on their horn. But I didn't budge. I waited. And then I pulled out. And I'm glad that I did my 1-1000, 2-1000, because a car came barreling through the red light to my left. And had I not counted and waited, they would have T-boned us right on my door. We don't wait very well. Are we there yet? How much longer? I am so bored. There's no Wi-Fi in this place. We don't wait very well. How often have I sat at a stoplight Checking my ESPN fantasy football? That's a no-no, and that's 
inappropriate, but I've done that. How often have we checked email and texts trying to beat the light when it changes? Once, true story, I saw a lady driving, smoking, putting on her makeup, and talking on her cell phone all at the same time. We don't wait very well. Perhaps Advent exists so that Christians can learn to wait. It's a recurring lesson that we need. Advent is Latin for coming to, and the season begins today with a look at the future coming of the Son of Man. One writer states, Advent is a curious season in the Christian year. Before the identification of Christmas and consumerism, the Advent season inspired Christians to reflection, confession, and preparation. Beginning in the fourth century, Advent, like Lent, was seen as a time of fasting and penitence. For us today, it is a time of restlessness and reflection as we seek to take the season seriously. The writer continues, Advent calls us to look both at the coming of Jesus, the child in the manger who inspired us as God's saving presence to humankind, and the second coming of Jesus anticipated as the fulfillment of all history. This chapter in Luke's gospel is filled with symbolism and apocalyptic imagery. All three of the synoptic gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, include this teaching of Jesus which took place in the temple during the last week of his life. That would be the Tuesday of Holy Week, most likely in the afternoon. In this passage, we see him facing his impending death on Calvary's cross. He prophesies the judgment of God that would be coming when the temple is destroyed by the Romans, the Gentiles. And he uses end-of-the-world language. Luke writes, after this has happened, after this historical event of 70 A.D., the temple having been destroyed. And the message that Jesus has for the twelve disciples and the others who are listening, and for us today, is that we live in an in-between time, between the here and now and the there and then, between his lowly birth and his second coming in a cloud with power and great glory, as Luke writes in verse 27, between what child is this and Philip soon and very soon. We're in the between two extremes. And in this time of waiting, we get impatient And we rush to develop things like extensive timelines that predict when Jesus will return and that everything will be destroyed. Or we go to the opposite extreme and focus most of our time and energy on our Amazon wish list, holiday parties and the like. We might sing a few carols and throw a Jackson or two in the offering, but remain indifferent to the hollow feelings we have. We grow increasingly numb into Uh, the injustices and suffering that we see in the world. Verse 34 says our hearts can be trapped in poor decisions, self-medication, and ceaseless worry. The word translated there, poor decisions, is a Greek word that implies uh, the feeling uh, of head spinning after having had too much alcohol, literally a hangover. The word self-medication that I loosely translate um, actually comes from the Greek word metha, which has to do with an intoxicating substance. It's where we get the word meth today, which is a crisis in our nation. 
He's saying that if we're not careful and we let loose on our belief system that we are uh, susceptible to become, our hearts are susceptible to become trapped by poor decisions, self-medication, and ceaseless worry and anxiety. In this passage, we are summoned to remember that while we wait for Jesus to come again, there is work to be done. To be His witnesses, practicing active waiting, but also being active in our mission. We do not wait impatiently with an are-we-there-yet attitude. Rather, we wait with anticipation and expectation. We stand firm and gain life as verse 19 says, we stand up and lift up our heads because our redemption is indeed drawing near. One of my favorite writers in the area of Christian spirituality, our staff knows this, is Henry Nouwen. He died in 1996, my second year of seminary. He addresses the consequences of a life without the expectation of the Christ who is to come again. Listen to his words. If we do not wait patiently in expectation for God's coming in glory, we start wandering around, going from one little sensation to another. Our lives get stuffed with newspaper items, television stories, and gossip. Then our minds lose the discipline of discerning between what leads us closer to God and what doesn't. And our hearts, now in rights, gradually lose their sensitivity. We get numb to what's around us. Now and continues. Without waiting for the second coming of Christ, we will stagnate quickly and become tempted to indulge in whatever gives us a moment of pleasure. And he quotes the Apostle Paul who said, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Like the disciples, we confess that we don't wait very well How much longer? Are we there yet? When will these things happen, Lord? And what will be the signs that they will take place? And I can see him shaking his head. Disciples, brethren, it's simple. When we slip on a pair of flip-flops and sunglasses, we know summer's coming. When the first red leaf falls to the ground, we know autumn is soon here. And when you have to get the people to come out to blow your irrigation system, you know winter's coming. It's simple. And what about spring? He said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know the kingdom of God is near. While we are not to know the when of when he will come again, we know that he will, and we live in a time where his kingdom has come, and he has invited us to join him in what he's doing. Instead of constantly looking for the signs and asking, are we there yet, how much longer This is boring. May we realize that we are the signs. That we are the signs. Signs of God's kingdom. We are the sign before the signs, perhaps. We live on earth as it is in heaven, as signs pointing 
others to God's redemption, the good and final future victory in Christ. Karl Barth, born in Switzerland, was one of the most influential theologians of the 21st century, 20th century. When asked in 1962 on his one visit to America how he would summarize the essence of the millions of words that he had published, he replied, quote, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Bart had a painting of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the wall in his study that was painted by German painter Matthias Gruenwald. In the painting, if you look to your right, you'll see the image of John the Baptist, his extra long finger pointing to the onlooker of Jesus on the cross in the center of the painting. And it is said that when Bart would talk with a visitor who came by his study to ask about his work, he would direct them to John the Baptist in the painting, and he would say this, I want to be that finger. I want to be a sign pointing to the redemption and victory in Jesus Christ. And he also writes, I would like to be like Mary, to bow in humble submission and adoration. And then like John the Baptist, to point away from myself to Christ, the faithful witness. We are the signs that Christ has come. We are the signs that love has come. We are the signs that hope is now. We are the signs that redemption is here. Come to the table. He set a place for you. Come to the table. The bread and the cup are the signs of the sacrifice that he paid for our redemption. We are his signs. And today, we take these symbols of everlasting life. Remember how Jesus took bread as he gathered with his disciples and he blessed it and broke it and said, this is my body, take, eat, as often as you meet, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the wine and he blessed it and poured it out, saying, this is my blood shed for you. This is the new covenant for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you drink, take, drink, this do in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of this bread will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. <laughs>